Amen. Amen. Okay. Welcome to a Galatians study. Hang on, let me find my notes here. That should have been done beforehand, probably. Um, okay. So first, I'm going to talk about this study, this book. That's what I'm going to talk about first. This Bible study, I've done some studies through precepts. I've never done one like this. This book, if you haven't looked at it yet, don't freak out because you might freak out. I'm going to explain it to you. It's designed, it's called a flexible study. It's designed to kind of meet you where you are. And I'm going to walk through the book so that you're not overwhelmed. Um, it's kind of designed for you to go maybe deeper one week. Maybe one week you don't have enough time and you need to maybe not do some of the fluff. Um, it's all studying God's word, but I'm going to show you in the book kind of how it's laid out. Because Mel and I both feel like this is too much. So, if you will open the book um, to, I guess it's page zero. It's right before week one. Um, it just says the different parts of this study. There's four main parts. The weekly study, which I'm going to show you where it's located in the book, which is the main kind of meat of the study. And then there are boxes in the sidebars in the margin that just are extra. They're just extra things if you want to look up. So if you'll go to page, let's say page 10. Um, so because it looked like a lot to me, I went through and I highlighted where the main chunk of the study is. In fact, this is all we will cover mostly when we meet together. All the outside stuff is just extra. So do not freak out and say it's too much. There's no point in giving you a Bible study if you immediately are like, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't want to do this. I'm not, I'm not going to get enough answers. It doesn't matter. You do not have to have all the answers written down. We just want you to come and be fed on God's Word. Um, I also wanted to tell you... Uh, I see I should keep up with my notes what I, what I, what I say here um, I, I was a little like concerned about the time frame and how much it would take so um, on this I actually timed myself I did this yesterday just to see how long it would take having not read any of the questions at all I did um, on page 10 and 11 and it took me 12 minutes and I kind of write a lot so I'm, I'm not a speed, speed reader writer I'm just saying I timed myself here and it took me 12 minutes. And so then I thought, well, let's see how long one of these one step further little extra things. And I, I just did a little bit of it and it took me five minutes. So, you know, as with anything, you get out of it what you put into it. But like I felt really fed and it was under 15 minutes. So I don't know why they give you so much room to answer. That makes us feel intimidated that we need to write a lot. You don't have to write a lot. So. Um, this could definitely be a smaller size book, although I, I like having the room to space it out. Um, I wanted to talk to you about, so there's things in the little margins, and then there's this section called Digging Deeper. So see, I did this, okay, 12 minutes. This took me about five, and then I went over here, and it's comparing, um, this particular one is comparing Paul's intro in this letter to the other churches in his other letters. Well, I didn't have to write it all down. Like, it took me just a few minutes to see, to see a drastic difference between how he greets the Galatians and how he greets the other churches. So, the point is to make it your own. Like, if you want to 
have a lot of time to write all the intros down, that's fine. But I got a very good view of it just by, just by reading it. So the next day looked kind of long to me. So I thought, well, I'm going to time myself doing that. And it took me 15 minutes before I got interrupted by a baby. So <laughs> I just want to set your mind at ease that the main part that we'll be studying is those, it says, um, look and observe on, and, and it's not organized by day. It's just organized by sections. Hang on, where's the first one? Page 10. It says, looking closer, observe the text of scripture. So everywhere that you see one of those, and then there will be questions that follow it, that's going to be the bulk of what we're talking about here. Okay? So if you never touch what's in the margin, it's fine. It's totally fine. Okay. So that's about the book. Everyone take a deep breath and say, you can handle it. It's all right. Um... Okay, the next thing I want to talk about is what I'm so convicted by, and that's time management. I'm just going to say it right off the bat so that I won't feel bad later. Um, we really want to honor our time here. We really want to honor the people that have let us come, like my husband putting my five kids to bed tonight. So we want to honor the people that have to come and open up the building and lock it when we leave. So um, for the sake of time, we're going to try our hardest to start at seven o'clock so if you want to come early and visit we will be here if you want to stay a little late till leslie kicks you out we, that's fine but we really want to try to be i mean sorry to throw i figured it'd be you i don't know who okay okay so that's true um we just we really want to maximize our time in God's word here and I'm telling you I'm the worst about running late but please don't be offended if you walk in at 7.05 and we've already started because we just we really want to make the most of our time a few of us turn into pumpkins about nine o'clock and we want to be home in our PJs before that happens so okay that's all I have about that the next part I'm going to talk about is just some Bible study basics so contrary to what a lot of us have been taught, I'm sorry, my laptop was messed up, so it's on my phone, which means this is what you get. Contrary to what a lot of us have been taught, the Bible is not primarily a book about us. We certainly are supposed to learn all we need to know about ourselves and how to live through it, but the Bible is first and foremost a book about God. From beginning at creation to the very last book showing God's dominion over all things, the Bible is about God. The Bible does tell us who we are and what we should do, but it does so through the lens of who God is. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of self always go hand in hand. In fact, you really can't have any true knowledge of yourself apart from the knowledge of God. He's the only reliable reference point. So seeing who God is shows me who I am in a true light. Um, a vision of a high and holy God shows me my sin and my need for him to make me right with him. And then my love for him increases when I see what effort he went to to make me right with him, right? Genuine repentance happens, and I begin to be conformed to the image of the one I am beholding or studying. So, for example, I thought of me being selfish. I can read the Bible, which certainly says, don't be selfish. That's a sin. And I can try really, really hard to not be selfish. But until I see my selfishness Compared to God's total unselfishness, I don't recognize that sin for what it is and the, the gravity of it. 
So if our reading our Bibles focuses our eyes on anyone other than God, we've gotten backwards the transformation process. We must turn around our thinking. Instead of saying first, what does this say about me? We need to open God's Word and say, what does this say about God? And the next thing I want to say is about our minds and our hearts. Often, please, Lord, don't let anyone be offended. Often, especially in women's Bible studies, we approach God's Word more feeling-oriented than with our minds. We go to the Bible because of how it makes us feel. Um, We want to feel a certain way. Maybe I want to feel closer to God. Maybe I want to feel peace and hope. And maybe I want to feel assurance of a decision I have to make. And those are not bad things. But as women, attaching our emotions to our faith is actually pretty natural for us. God created us very emotionally. Um, It makes sense. It makes sense that we approach the Bible saying, who am I? What should I do? What does this say about me? Um, The Bible does command us to love God with all of our hearts, Mark 12, 30 says. But, but, that same verse commands us to love God with our minds. Attaching our minds, our intellect, to our faith does not come as naturally to some people, especially women. We think of faith and reason as opposites, and frankly, in our current culture, the church at large often uses language that kind of drives that home. Um, we base the strength of our faith on how close we feel to God. And our heart, our emotions become the leading factor in our walk with God. But what if we turned it around to where our mind is in charge of our heart? Scripture certainly speaks a ton to our minds, but maybe the verse that jumps out the most is Romans 12, 2 and 3. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Of course, we want transformation, but Paul says here the way to have that will not be through our hearts. It will be through our minds. One of my favorite statements that has stuck in my head forever is from Jen Wilkin, and she says, The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And that's what this verse in Romans says, that not that the mind alone will bring about transformation, but that the path to transformation runs from your mind and to your heart and not the other way around. So if God is where our highest joy is, then we need to know him more. And to know him through his word informs our heart and changes how we feel. And we get the benefit, the the added bonus of growing into his image. If we want to feel a deeper love for God, we must learn to see him more clearly for who he is, for who's, who he's revealed himself to be. And to know him more clearly, to think about him more clearly, we need to know him. And he has made that available in his word. Now, of course, gaining knowledge, just to gain knowledge is sinful. Scripture condemns that. Um, but gaining knowledge about the one we love so that we can love him more deeply will always be for our transformation. And I am not saying that emotions don't have a place. Um, Engaging our emotions in loving God, seeing ourselves in the Bible, letting the text speak to us, of course, those are great things, but they should be secondary. The Bible study that equips does not neglect self-knowledge, but it puts self-knowledge in the right place, informed by the knowledge of God. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. To know God more means we'll love him more, and we know him more by studying his word because... It is first and foremost about him. It's not about us first and foremost. So 
that's my spiel on why we're doing Bible study. So how are we going to do that? Real quick, I'm going to cover three things that I know you've heard, and I'm going to show you how the book does that. Um, we're going to cover three basic things of Bible study, observation, interpretation, and application. Or I prefer comprehension, interpretation, and application because it's CIA, and I think that's cooler. makes me think I'm unearthing something cool. So that's what we're going with, CIA. Comprehension, interpretation, and application. Comprehension asks, what does this say? Interpretation asks, what does it mean? And application asks, how should this change me? So, real quick, observation, comprehension. The easiest way to think of this is that you're just asking questions of the text. And you probably have heard these before. The five W's and an H. Who, what, when, where, why, how. Who is speaking? Who's this about? Who are the main characters? what subjects are covered, what do you learn about the people here, when did this happen, you get the point. How, how will this happen, how is it illustrated? You know, I was thinking, you probably do this every day. I didn't realize I did when my kids get in the car after school and I'm start interrogating them with these questions to find out how their day was. Well, it's, it's fine. Well, what happened? Who did this? What, why, how did they speak to you? You know, I start asking these five W's and an H so that I gain a proper interpretation of how their day went. Um, and I bet you do that a lot too and you didn't even know it. Um, okay, so that's observation or comprehension. Just letting the text say what it says, not putting anything into it, just reading it for what it says. Step two is interpretation, which is discovering what the text means. The more you observe, the more clearly you'll understand God's word. Since scripture is the best interpreter of scripture, we'll be looking at context and cross-references to help us understand God's message that was communicated to the original audience. And that's kind of important. The message of the Bible transcends its original audience, but it can never be severed from them. I read from two guys way smarter than me that said, a text cannot mean what it never could have meant to its author or his readers. So we're going to focus on the original audience and what the author is saying to those people. While the focus of our study is going to be Paul's letter to the Galatian church, we're also going to do some cross-referencing, particularly in Acts, because that's where we see Paul's missionary journeys happen. So then finally, the third thing leads, comprehension leads to, comprehension and interpretation lead to application. So these sound like big words, but they're really not. We do this all day long. We observe, we go, this means this, now what? Now what do I need to do? Um, after we've observed and we've discovered the meaning, we need to think and live accordingly. The main application is how should this change me? So when we approach Bible study with a God-centered view of this is about him first, right? This is how he is showing himself to me. We can answer that main question through three smaller questions. And this is so easy to remember. And you'll get so much application just from these three questions. What does this teach me about God? How does this aspect of God's character change my view of self? And what should I do in response? Will you say those again? Yes. What does this passage teach me about God? How does that aspect of God's character change my view of self? And what should my response be? If you can just remember those three questions, you'll get plenty of application. Notice nowhere does it say, how does this make me feel? <laughs> well, you may not like how it makes you feel. I may be angry at what the Bible is saying. But 
these questions, for me at least, definitely help guardrail me from going astray and <clears throat> making Scripture say something that it doesn't say. What does this passage teach me about God? How does this character of God, this aspect of God's character, change my view of myself? And what's my response? What should I do in response? Um, so that gives you application. The result of applying God's word is a transformed life. The more that you and I are in the Word of God and adjusting our thinking and behavior to what God's Word says, the more we're changed into the likeness of Christ, who is the living Word of God. So, real quick, you don't have to generate those questions because this study actually does it for you. And you, you, you may not even realize it, but there is a rhyme and reason to the way they ask the questions. They're having you observe the text and write down what you observe, what the text says, and then it goes into interpretation and how how should you apply this. You know, maybe in a future study we'll have you generate those questions yourself, but for this study, the it's already there. Like, you don't have to be overwhelmed. I just want you to know that that's kind of the, the movement behind this study. You know what I, I loved hearing over and over, and at our table I heard from some other tables, is I've read this so many times, but I never noticed this. Like, this really stands out. And so that's such the cool thing about God's Word is, I mean, we do read it, we're familiar with it, but when you stop and you really read it and you're looking for something and you're, you know, you're, you're taking the time to mark some things up, things just stick out that you've never really thought that much about before. So um, that's what kind of how this study is going to work. That's how the book is going to encourage you to go through this material just asking those questions. It's going to give you some prompts, but um, like I said, it continues to break down Galatians 1 a few more times. Like, So you're going to read verses 1 through 6 again, and then verses 7 through whatever, and just ask some more questions about that. So um, I hope that was a little bit helpful just to kind of do together. And um, then as we continue on for our next times, like we'll do the work, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it again kind of in our small groups. Does that make sense? Have I got any questions about that? Okay. So um, I'm going to take the last little bit of our time, and then we'll, we'll break, and I want to leave some time to pray and um, just kind of wrap up. But uh, my name's Melanie, by the way, and um, I was asked to kind of do the main teaching chunk of this time, and so I was really excited about that because that's something I really love to do. And um, I, what I want to do tonight is... I really think the Bible makes so much more sense when we can get a grasp of where we are in like the history of it and where we are in the whole story of it. So, um, I, you know, we get confused when we're just like, we just kind of pick some, we hear some story in like second Samuel and we're like, okay, well, I don't have, that's kind of confusing. How, how does that apply to me? Well, I, Liken it to what? There's like seven or eight Harry Potter books. How many are there? There's a lot. And seven. So, seven. seven. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say you, let's say you, you know, you've like heard of Harry Potter, but you pick up book four and read like a couple paragraphs in chapter ten, and you're like, well, I don't really know how. What does this have to do with this wizard guy? Because you're reading about some other guy, and well, we do that with the Bible. We just picked some random part in the middle, and they were like, this doesn't make any sense. Well, of course it doesn't make any sense, right? Because but just like you got to start reading Harry Potter from the beginning, and you got to kind of know where it's going to the end. <laughs> 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 
it was an amen. amen. So the Bible is one story. Like, it is one consistent story, and it is incredible when you can see that because God is so stinking smart. Like, and he is doing stuff that he said he was going to do in the first three pages of the Bible. He's doing it right now. Um, and so it's not a bunch of random events. And, like, we kind of focus on the red words that Jesus says. Like, all of this is for us. So I'm going to do... Um, what I want to do tonight is just kind of a quick arc of just like, hey, can I hear the story of the Bible as a whole? And, and that's going to lead us to Galatians, I promise. And so just hang in there with me. I promise that it is. Um, because Galatians really is a, is a super critical book. Ah, it's wonky here. Okay, I can deal with wonky. <laughs> One of the reasons why it's so critical is because this was the very beginning of the church. And when the church first started, it was Jewish people. Is anybody in here have any Jewish heritage? Okay, awesome. One. So we have one. Yeah. It, I, I was expecting none. I mean, there's not, most of us aren't, right? But Jesus was, and all the disciples were. And so when the church started, it was just this little sect of Judaism. And then these other people that were Gentiles like us that were not Jews started coming through Paul, started coming to faith in Christ and that was a big problem and they really had to figure out, is this is this what Jesus was meant for? Like, was he meant to just be this Jewish thing or really is he meant for these other people too? And so um, the people that he's writing to in Galatians are not Jews they're not Jews, they're the rest of us and um, people had come to them and said, well, really, you have to kind of go be Jews, too. Like, you can't just believe in Jesus. It would be like saying, you know, you go to India, and you're trying to share, you know, share Christ with folks in India, and you say, well, really, to be a Christian, you have to move back to America and become members of Grove Church. <laughs> that makes sense? And they're like, uh, well, that seems kind of hard. Like, it's a barrier. That's kind of what was happening. Like really, you gotta it, you gotta believe in Jesus, but you actually have to also completely change everything and become this totally other religion too. And this book, Paul is like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, that's not true, that's not true. And had he not written it, there is a great chance that none of us would be here today, because the gospel would have had an extreme barrier put in front of it. And the rest of us out there in the world that were not Jewish may have never had access to it because it would have been contained inside Judaism. So um, I think it, it's, that's why the book is important. And I think to add a little even more understanding of like, like what is this whole Jew and non-Jew thing, um, that's kind of the story of God's work. So we're going we're gonna to start at the beginning, and I promise we're going to go quick. Um, okay. So... Let's look at the Bible as a whole story together. Where am I going to start? Can everybody see? Can you guys over there see? Can you guys over there see? Okay. Okay, so we're going to start in, in um, Genesis 1. So, um, right, there's, I'm not an artist. Okay, God creates the earth. 
about his creation, that it is good. good. Okay? So Genesis 1, it's awesome, God creates everything. It's awesome, it's great. Genesis 3, two chapters later, these people, Eve eats the apple, right, we know that story. Sin enters the world, okay? And it changes everything. It changes everything. So Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 3, Sin enters the world and things get bad real fast. And um, Adam and Eve walked with God. They had like they were with God. And then God said, "You cannot be in my presence anymore." And He kicked them out of the garden, and He put an angel with a flaming sword in front of it. So they're not getting back in. Okay. Um, and creation fell. The animal world fell. Like everything broke. Everything broke. Weather broke. You know, disease was entered. Death, it all broke when that happened. But in Genesis chapter 3, God says, as he's telling, right before he kicks them out, he says to them, like, I'm going to send you someone, though. I'm going to send a seed, which a seed is the Bible word for a descendant. Anytime you hear that, that's what it means. It means a great, 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 great kid. <laughs> Somebody says their seed. Um, and um, he says, yeah, I'm going to send someone, and he's going to crush the serpent. And it, it's the first mention of the gospel. It's the first mention of God saying, somebody's coming. I'm going to send somebody to fix this. All the way in Genesis 3. Like in Genesis 3, he's talking about that Jesus is going to come. That's pretty incredible. So, But it's not looking good, all right? So um, if you think about it, Genesis 1 through 11 is kind of like the intro, right? And then... We hit Genesis 12, and the main story of the Bible starts. So, Genesis 1, God creates the world. Genesis 3, it gets bad real fast. And then they kind of go on. We hit Genesis chapter 6, and that's where Noah shows up. And if you have your Bible, open it up real quick, because I think it's really good to read this. To Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 5. It says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So he said, I will wipe mankind, whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, Creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay? So I want you to, for a minute, to imagine the worst news story that you've heard in like the past six months. One of those ones that you see and it makes you sick to your stomach. That it, you just feel like, oh, Jesus, come back. Maybe it's a story of child abuse or terrorism or just something you know what I'm talking about that you're like ugh that was like everyday life all the time did you hear how he described the earth that great man's wickedness and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time it was total chaos like it was total chaos there was no government there was no police force out there keeping people safe Everybody was completely evil all the time. Imagine 
the terror of living there, of just imagine it. Like we, I think a lot of times we read these things and we try to, like we picture it in our modern mind, but that's not what was going on. I mean, it was chaos. And it was so chaotic that God's heart was filled with pain. He was grieved. And so I think really wiping people out was really a great act of mercy that he did because I imagine it was not fun to be there. It was not fun to be living there. It was incredibly dangerous. There was death. There was disease. There was betrayal. It was all of that terrible stuff happening all the time. And God said, okay, enough. So, um, but he finds Noah, and Noah gets on the boat, and God clears, clears the earth. So we skip to chapter 9. I wasn't planning on drawing all this. There, sorry. Okay, so we skip to chapter 9. Um, Noah gets off the boat, and um, unfortunately, sin comes along with him. Like, God didn't get rid of sin. It's still there, because Noah's still a human. And so he cleared the earth, but when Noah and his family get off the boat, sin gets off with him. And, um, but God makes a covenant with him, and he says, hey, be fruitful, fill the earth, and multiply. And, um, like, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not ever going to do this again. So, fill the earth and multiply. Um, trying to decide how easy to get with you guys. So, anyway, so Noah and his family, they get off the boat. Here's Noah and his family. They kind of start over. This is a super interesting, like, go back and read some of this sometime. Really interesting, thing hap- interesting things happen in here. Things that haven't happened before in the history of the world start happening in this chunk of time. So, I won't spoil it for you, but go back and read some of it. Look, take a little closer look at it. Um, Noah has a couple kids. He has a kid named Shem. And he has a kid named Ham. And then he has a kid named Japheth. And it tells us that from these three people, like all the peoples of the world came. Okay? So, um, and God makes some prophecies about these three groups of people which have come true and continue to come true. It's kind of crazy, again, because God's crazy smart. And Genesis 9, what he says in Genesis 9 is still happening today, right? So, but um, he says, okay, go repopulate and, like, fill the earth, okay? And so a bunch of families branch off from these three folks. Um, We get to Genesis chapter 11, and we're almost to the end of the intro. And after this, we speed up real quick. We get to Genesis chapter 11, and... What's that? That's the tower, right? Everybody. So Genesis chapter chapter eleven. So the people didn't spread out. They didn't do what God told them to do. It says that they all had the same language and the common speech, and they all came together. Hey, let's make bricks and let's um, put stone and then let's build this ourselves a city and a tower that reaches the heavens. So they didn't do what what God told them to do. So. Um, you're familiar with the, the military term divide and conquer, right? Or like who teaches like some of the kids' classes here? There anybody that's a helper in the kids' class? All right, I have three little boys. And so if you ever have a group of like six little boys and you're trying to teach the kids' class, like you need to separate probably the six little boys from each other, right? Because <laughs> the six little boys together... Um, the evil multiplies quickly, right? Okay. So, um, 
again, Sin got off the boat with these guys. They're still not doing so hot. It's not as terrible as it was before the, before the flood, but there's still sin. The world's still broken. And now everybody's together, and so God, he divides and conquers. He says, all right, we're going to slow down this progression of evil, and you guys aren't going to spread out and fill the earth, so guess what? I'm going to make you do it. So now nobody can understand each other. Click. All of a sudden. Nobody can understand each other, and they're like, well, I guess we'll move over here, and I guess we'll move over here. And then the earth populates and people spread out like God intended to. Okay? That's 1 through 11. That's kind of the intro. That's the setup to the story. And then all of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 12, out of nowhere comes this guy named Abram. And God changes his name to Abraham. And what God has done is he's decided that of all these peoples that scattered out, he picks this one guy. And he says, I'm going to start a new nation with you. And Abraham is actually a descendant of Shem. Abraham becomes the father of the Jewish nation. Have you heard the word Semite used for Jewish people? Shemite, that's where it comes from. Because Abraham was from the line of Shem, way back in Noah. So just a little tidbit, that's where that comes from, right? Okay, so um, Genesis 12, everybody just flip to it. We'll look at it quick. God says, um, I mean, literally, he just comes out of nowhere. And he says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household. Go to the land, I'll show you. Verses 2 and 3, I'll make you a great nation, and I'll bless you. I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God makes Abraham a promise. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you descendants. And eventually, your family is going to bless the whole world. And so the rest of the story of the Old Testament is the family of Abraham growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and becoming the Jewish nation. And God makes a lot more promises to them. And he gives them the law, um, which is when Moses shows up and he writes the Ten Commandments. And, um, but, but what he's trying to do, again, remember... The world back then, the ancient world, is not our modern world. There weren't governments. I mean, they were loosely, but they were kings. And, you know, there wasn't um, modern hygiene, right? There wasn't modern medical care. Um, there, it was still a very dangerous place to live. It was not like where we live right now. And so all of that danger and um, disease and yuckiness from people just flat out not taking care of their personal hygiene, like I mean, all of that stuff, none of that was reflecting this good earth that God created. God didn't create the earth to be stinky and smelly and rotten animals and to have rape and murder and, and terror and all of that. He didn't make the earth to be like that, and that doesn't reflect who he is. So he took this one guy and he made him into a whole nation and he gave them he gave them laws to help them look more like him to say i'm going to i want you to represent me to everybody else i want you to be clean i'm going to teach you basic hygiene 
Like you read through Leviticus, a lot of it is just like wash your hands, people. <laughs> like wash your hands and cook your food. And then like throw it out and don't let it rot in the middle of the road. Right? Like, um, and then I'm going to teach you how to just like be nice to other people and don't steal stuff from people. Like just a basic moral code that didn't exist. Like it didn't exist. There was not this just basic moral code out there that everybody had. Um, if you read some of the things in Leviticus, God's given some crazy rules um, about, you know, don't have sex with animals, don't go have sex with your mom, don't go have sex with your sister. Well, why do you think he's giving the rules? Because people are doing that. That's what's going on. That's how society is working. And God says, none of that is reflecting to anybody who I am. I am pure and I am holy and I am good and I am clean and I am... I am order and I am delight and so I'm gonna I want you people to start looking more like me and I'm gonna give you my presence they built a temple and he dwelt there and he wanted to use that people to show the rest of the world who he was okay and that's really the rest of the story of the Old Testament there's a lot more there but um, he, he gives them some more promises and some of them are unconditional like hey no matter what you do I'm going to still take care of you. Some of them are conditional. Like, hey, if you don't obey the law, then I'm going to take this away. And so um, the rest of most of your Old Testament is just that playing out. Them falling in and out of disobedience and not doing what God has said them to do, um, not being the representation that God has, has wanted them to be. And we get to the point where, um, you know, there's all the kingdoms and the prophets and all of that. Again, it's just a continuation of the same story. And we get to this point where um, they're really starting to lose their way. They're really starting to forget as a nation why they were created in the first place. At one point in second in the book of Second Chronicles, they've like lost the Ten Commandments. Like literally they just lost it. Like, I don't know where it is. And they, like, find it in the back room of the temple. And, like, they haven't even seen it before. Like, that's how far off they were from being what God had made them to be. So, um, God sends them prophets. He sends them, you know, all those people talking to them, all these guys in here. And eventually God's like, okay, you know, we're done. And then um, he stops talking to them for 400 years. And after that 400 years is when Jesus shows up. And he's promised them a Messiah. Again, in Abraham, he promised them a Messiah. He promised them land. He said, I'm going to use you to bless the whole world. And, and Jesus was it. Jesus was the promise. Jesus was the plan to bless the whole world. Like, I'm going to bring the Savior of the world through your family. And he's not just going to be for you guys. He's going to be for everybody. But by the time that Jesus shows up on the scene, um, the Jewish nation is pretty insular. Like, again, they've kind of forgotten. Like, they know they're special, but they've kind of forgotten that they're special in order to bless other people. Um, and so when Jesus shows up, like, they've kind of stopped having anything to do with anybody that's not Jewish. You and me. We were, we were shunned. We weren't allowed in their temple. We weren't allowed to, to eat with them. <laughs> we couldn't sit down and have food. There was no concept of, yeah, let's take this message of a Messiah to the world. Uh-uh. They were like, no, he's, he's just for us. He's just for us because we're God's chosen people. Does that make sense, right? So then 
This is where we get to Galatians. This Paul guy shows up, and Paul had been a leader, a, a high-ranking leader of kind of the Jewish religious structure. And he really didn't like these Christians. And he was killing them. And he was organizing like mobs of people to kill them. And like traveling around to arrest them. And God knocks him off a horse. And in the time it takes for him to fall to the ground, he's converted. And he sees something, and we don't know exactly what he sees, but he sees something and he hears something. And it's Jesus, and his life has changed. And he becomes Paul who we know now. And God sets him apart, and he says, you're going to be the guy that that goes and talks to all the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. That's the fancy Bible word. I want you to take this message, because most of the church was in Jerusalem, which is is where, you know, most of the, the Jews were living, and that's kind of where Peter and all those other guys were. And he says, and they're like, I didn't go talk to Peter. I didn't go. That's what he's talking about. Like, the head of the church was still kind of these Jewish guys that had become, had walked with Christ and had faith in Christ. Guess what? Our Messiah is your Messiah too. He's not just for us, he's also for you. And faith in Christ will forgive you of your sins. And um, there was this group of people back over here that they were like, I don't really know that we like that. Like, you know, again, hey folks in India, no, really you gotta come back every part of the grove to be Christians, right? So you're like, yeah, you people up there that aren't us, um, you can be Christians, but you kind of also have to become Jewish and, like, do all these things that we do, too. And Paul's like, uh-uh, no, no, you don't. Because that was a barrier. Like, that was a significant barrier to the gospel. Because it, it was cultural, it was ethnic, it was, like, a complete and radical kind of change of life to all of a sudden, you know, to have to identify yourself as a Jew and convert to all of that. I mean, it, it, was, it was messy and it was hard. And it was adding to the truth of the simplicity of the gospel, which is that faith in Christ alone saves. So, um, Galatian, uh, the town, the book of Galatians is written to not just one church, but a group of churches all in um, really kind of the area of modern-day Turkey. And the people that were living there, um, it's called Galatia because the people that were living there were the Gauls. And so the Latin word for Gaul uh, means milk. And so it was the white people. <laughs> like, it was the white people. It was us that were there. And, and uh, so if the Jews came from Shem, like most of us, we come from this guy. That's us. And so... Um, the Gauls, they were a Germanic and a Celtic tribe. If you've heard the word Gaelic, like the Gaelic cross, it's all the same people. So these people, they moved down to kind of the rim of the Roman Empire for safety, and they, um, they fought for the Roman Empire. That was kind of their job, um, because Rome, if you were a Roman citizen, um, you didn't actually want to do the work, like that was beneath you, and so you paid other people that weren't Roman citizens. And so... Um, these people that lived in Galatia, they were seen as barbarians. They weren't the educated Romans. They certainly were not the religious Jewish people. They were these barbarians. And only, you know, Paul was like, hey, this gospel is for anybody. And the super religious people were like, I don't know about that. Are you sure? <laughs> like, are you sure it's for these people? 
too? Like, are you sure Jesus can save these people? I don't know. That's a little scary, right? So that's the, that's the setup for this book. That's where he's at. Paul had gone on three different missionary journeys. He had met these people on his first one. And he had left them and he had come back. And in between that time, some folks came up from Jerusalem and they started telling them, like, well, hey, actually, you need to actually come back and become Jewish. Which part of what that meant was that the men would have to circumcise themselves. And if I'm a guy, I don't think I want to do that. Again, like, there's not modern medicine, you know. We're not talking anesthetic here. <laughs> it's just like, well, okay, like, I have to do that now to fall. And so... Um, that's, that's the setup for this book. That's why it matters. And that's, that's where it fits in the history of all of this. Because, again, God started with the whole earth. He used the Jewish people to, to represent him to the ancient world. But his plan was to wind up with the whole earth again. It always was. It was to be for everybody. And um, the first Jewish believers, they just they wrestled with that. They, they kind of wrestled with um, really letting go of their Messiah. Is he really for everybody, or is he just for us? I hope that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that's the basic setup for the book. Again, that's kind of our whole, just the ark, the ark of God's word. Um, it, the story continues on, right? And it continues on into the New Testament with the churches that are planted, and it ends in Revelation. That's the end of our story. Starts in Genesis. Genesis 1 through 11 are our introduction. Genesis 12, Abraham shows up. God starts the main plot of the story. We're still in the plot right now. We're living more of the plot line right now. And then the very end of the book of Revelation is the, is the future, that we're not there yet. But it's the conclusion of the story. And the conclusion of the story is that God winds up with a representation from every single people praising him in heaven. He winds up with all the different people there. Not just the Jewish people. Not just the white people. Not just the these people. But he winds up with all of them. He does exactly what he says he's going to do. And there is this vast sea of different ethnicities and languages and and representing the beautiful creativity of God worshiping him. We see that in Revelation. That's, That's the end of the story. We're not there yet, but it's coming. It's coming. So, um, as we read through more of Galatians 1 this week, um, I hope having a little bit of that framework helps. That's why Paul's really hacked. He's really kind of hacked about this. Because he had done this work, and he is not happy that these people have showed up, and that they are causing trouble to his new believers. They're troubling them. They're making them wonder if they're really Christians. And he is not like that. It's making him very angry. <laughs> and you can tell that when you're reading it. And he's kind of mad at them, too. Like, what the heck? You guys have already stopped believing that Jesus is enough, and, and you're, you're wondering if you've got to do all these other things? No, 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 no. And he spends the rest of the book just hammering that in over and over and over, that faith in Christ alone is enough, that you don't have to become this thing or this thing or this thing or this thing, that it's just Jesus. That's what we need. It's just Jesus. So um, thank you guys for listening. I know that that's a lot of talk to listen to tonight. We, um, I'm going to take just a couple of minutes, and we can wrap up at your tables. And um, 
spend a few minutes in prayer, and then if anybody, if there's anything else that we need to say. So um, just work through your book this week, that, that chapter one, um, Genesis one. Again, do what you want to do of it, um, but it's just going to be practicing more of that. Like We're just going to look and make some observations in the text, and it's going to be really... I'm excited to see what we all come back with and go, hey, here's what I noticed this week from me. Here's what I know. Like all the different things that God's going to show us, kind of working through that chunk of scripture.